0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Ronnie Kurtz, on why theology should help produce in us the fruit of the Spirit,
1: not the works of the flesh. And so I started asking, what would it look like to think about God in a way that would lead to not division, strife, selfish ambition, the works of the flesh, but lead to gentleness, and self-control, and love, and patience, and kindness. And those words are often not associated with Christian theologians, unfortunately. Ronnie Kurtz, next.
0: Dr. Ronnie Kurtz believes even a quick scrolling of social media may lead you to conclude anger and theology somehow go together. Unfortunately, our day is characterized by theological fighting and a spirit of tearing down our brothers and sisters in Christ. In his new book, Fruitful Theology, Dr. Ronnie Kurtz works to counter this problem. His book shows the life of the mind can and should lead to the fruit of the Spirit. He teaches theology at Cedarville University in Ohio. Dr. Kurtz, tell
1: us about the convictions which led you to write Fruitful Theology. Yeah, there's a, there's a few convictions that kind of prompted the book, and I really wrote it for two people. First, uh, I had a, uh, the people in mind who might be tempted to believe that theology is a kind of stale, cold, academic enterprise reserved for a select few eggheads out there uh-huh. and has no real practical value to our life. I wanted to do some work against that notion. And then also, I, the other group of people that I wrote it for are those who might be, to be frank, kind of like myself, who might be a little bit dismayed by what they see happening in the name of theology these days. Maybe they've seen theology used for making someone arrogant or causing divisions in the church, or maybe someone uses it for you know, self-platform or applause or whatever it may be. And I know I can't change that environment with a book, but this was simply me trying to say, maybe theology is best used not for those things, but for joy and to produce worship and love and kindness and gentleness and those things listed in the fruit of the Spirit.
0: Just touching on, uh, you mentioned that a lot of uh, theologians such such as yourself uh, are dismayed, and you write about it quite a bit in in your book, and certainly it it comes out in the Christianity Today piece, but talk about that a little bit. uh, What is it about, uh, well, I'll just ask you the question that your article raises. Why does it seem there are so many angry theologians that theology so often seems to turn into a case of us- Versus them. And if they don't believe exactly like me, then they're on the outside.
1: That's right. I think this has always been a reality throughout the history of the church. And there are people who have been better at disagreement than others. But I do think we have a couple of unique elements in our particular moment. I do think we have a political environment that is so us versus them. hmm that that's kind of seeped into the conversation. I think we have elements like social media in which anyone who has an opinion can publicize that opinion. And it seems like we're in a game of consistently one-upping each other with hot takes, uh, kind of who can speak about the most current thing with the most volume, the most anger, et cetera. And we're pretty, uh, it's pretty easy to see that uh, social media even rewards those kinds of things. The more clicks you get, Uh, the more your posts are going to be seen, and often we know that clicks come from things like anger and division and discord. And so while, while theology has always had a history of kind of debate, I do think there are a couple of current cultural moments that make our day a little more easy, at least to see some of those despairing things happening in theology. People,
0: when they hear the word theology, may immediately think, conflict or dispute, does having fixed theological convictions necessarily lead to disunity and controversy? I don't think so.
1: I don't think so. In fact, it could maybe do the opposite. Uh, The way I define theology, it's not new to me. I'm just trying to follow a long line of godly men and women who have come before me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I define theology as the contemplation of God and all things in relation to God. And what we see in a passage, you know, like First John 4, for example, is God is love. He doesn't merely have it. He is love. His very essence is love. And so if theology is the contemplation of God and all things in relation to God, and that one who we are comp- contemplating, God, is love, then we should really start to look like the one we're looking at. And so I think theology can, I tell my students all the time... Uh, What I'm after here is for you to look at Christ until you begin to look like him. And he is the one who is love. And so as we contemplate God, we ought to be, as 2 Corinthians 3 says, uh, transformed, conformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. And so it doesn't have to. Theology is not a one-way ticket to division. In fact, theology should be a one-way ticket to beauty and truth and goodness and cultivating the ability to apprehend those things in our soul ought to sanctify us, not divide us. So when you talk about contemplating God,
0: you are, are you referring then to thinking about him,
1: meditating on him in his word? Yeah, that's right. Uh, All of those things that we would consider the Christian pursuit of theology. So all of those things you mentioned, I would even include things like prayer, uh, sitting under biblical exposition, uh, yes, reading your Word, thinking about the Word, meditating on the Word, all of those things, doing good Christian dialogue in a good Christian community, all of those things, I think, would fit really well under the umbrella of Christian theology. And, and I'm wondering, in terms of
0: uh, how theology has often become, uh, or at least, as you said, it's, it's kind of through the history of the Church, but we have particular c- couple of those uh, cultural moments right now, as people think about theology and if they're if they're studying things in isolation from other people i'm i'm wondering if if that adds to it in other words is theology better done in community
1: yeah i this you're you're getting on a uh, a passion of mine here so you have to be careful because i can talk <laughs> about this one for a long time i think theology is best done in the church in the christian community Uh, Paul tells Timothy to watch his life and his doctrine closely, and we need other people to do that for us. We need people to watch our life and our doctrine, our confession, and our character. And so theology is not a lone wolf project. It is meant to be done in the church, with the church, and for the church. Well, the book is Fruitful Theology, How the
0: Life of the Mind Leads to the Life of the Soul. My guest is Dr. Ronnie Kurtz, Assistant Professor of Theology at Cedarville University in Ohio. So the goal of theology then, how would you describe that? What is what is the goal?
1: Yeah, I think like everything else, the goal of theology is the glory of God. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to admit with many confessions of the past that uh, we exist to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so I, I try to teach in the book and in my classes and you know when I teach and write that I'm really after a few things with theology. I want the glory of God first. I hope that theology maximizes our joy. And then I actually think theology can lead to the good of our neighbors. And so those are three kind of end results that I hope to see theology, God's glory, our joy, and the good of our neighbor.
0: So it's interesting that when you talk about the good of our neighbor, uh, theology isn't just a a private discipline where we're Contemplating God, and of course that leads to joy. That leads to glorifying God. And yet, at the same time, you're saying it should the, the one of the end results should be the good of our neighbor. How does that work?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think as we contemplate God and we turn our mind's eye His direction, try to get an eye full of beauty and see more clearly who God is and what He's doing in the world. We will, we can't help but to be transformed uh, more and more into his image. We will start to care more and more about what he cares about. Hopefully we will sound and think and look more and more like him. And it's my belief as you look through the Christian scriptures, God seems to be in the business of human flourishing. And so if our contemplation of God causes us to be conformed into his image, I think we will start to care about the things he cares about, which is the good of the neglected the good of the downtrodden, the good of the broken, the good of our neighbor. And I think theology done well will always be practical. And one of the ways theology done well can show up is when you have a strong mind and a gentle spirit that bends itself towards the good of your neighbor.
0: Well, as you write in your book, uh, Fruitful Theology, How the Life of the Mind Leads to the Life of the Soul, Scripture shows us that that is in fact the case, leads to the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In fact, you have a chapter on each one of those. Uh, can you help us to understand what that connection is, the life of the mind and then the fruit of the
1: Spirit? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was reading Galatians, and as you well know, Galatians 5, Let Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit— And one of the things that struck me as I was just reading through Galatians one day was as a theologian, vocationally myself, uh, of course, I think anyone who thinks about God is a theologian, so that that would be everybody out there. We're all theologians. Uh, What's that? We're all theologians, you're saying. That is exactly right. I tell my students all the time, the question of whether or not you're going to be a theologian, that's settled, it's yes. So the more important question is, will you be a faithful one? Mm. And so uh, as I was reading Galatians 5 and thinking about the the context of theology. You know, Paul, most famously in Galatians 5, lists the fruit of the Spirit, those virtues that you just mentioned, love, peace, patience, kindness, joy, those. But he also lists another list called the works of the flesh. And not all of the works of the flesh are pertinent for this discussion, but what struck me was a lot of them are. Paul lists things like jealousy, strife, fits of anger, division, etc. And I thought, Man, it's a pretty sad diagnostic question, Mm -hmm. but could it be asked properly, does our thinking about God lead to, or is it more accurately defined by those things that list the work of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit? And so I started asking, what would it look like to think about God in a way that would lead to not division, strife, selfish ambition, the works of the flesh, but lead to gentleness and self-control and love? and patience and kindness. And those words are often not associated with Christian theologians, unfortunately. And so that's kind of how the the structure of the book started to come about, is what would it look like to do theology in a way that leads to these things? And that's kind of what I do with each chapter is I, you know, in the love chapter, I ask, how can I do theology that makes me more loving? In the gentleness chapter, I ask, how can I do theology that makes me more gentle, etc.
0: Well, can you give an example from each of those? Uh, how can you do theology? I mean, you're thinking of, you, typically, theology, you're studying, it's the life of the mind, but it's suppo- you're saying it's supposed to manifest
1: itself in how we live. That's exactly right. Yeah, and I'm happy to, to talk about any of the, those virtues that make up the fruit of the Spirit. I'll, I'll tell you the one that, uh, of, the, of those virtues that are listed in Galatians 5 from Paul, the one that I found myself most convicted about, mm-hmm. and having just, to be honest, the most fun writing about, was patience. (laughs) And um, I was right. I was there one night writing. And uh, as anyone who has tried to write knows, there is something almost evil about that blinking cursor, just reminding (laughs) you, you've got to write something, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking I was writing on the chapter of patience and right as I was about to give up because of writer's block, my wife was across the room reading her Bible. And she just expressed some frustration. Like, why is this so hard? And I thought, man, that, that frustration is probably would resonate with a lot of people just trying to make sense of the scripture, trying to make sense of God and what he's doing. And sometimes it comes really easy, but sometimes there is a frustration. Like, why is this difficult? And I thought those moments aren't wasted with the Lord. Those moments of why do I not understand this? Those are not wasted. In fact, there is a reality that theology or that, that task of contemplating God and all things in relation to God really can develop a godly sense of patience. And sometimes reading the Bible, it is immediately obvious to you. And sometimes you got to keep just looking at the book until you see it. And so I, I write in that chapter about... Um, I talk about the limp of Jacob and the awe of Moses, which I get from another theologian named Matthew Levering and basically say theology can produce patience because sometimes it's going to take this, the story of Jacob and what you have to wrestle. And you you might come away with a dislocated hip. And the good news is the Lord is sanctifying you in that wrestling and it's going to develop patience. But the good news about the wrestling, the good news about developing patience is hopefully when you walk away with the limp of Jacob, you don't just leave with the limp, but you leave with the awe of Moses. And so I talk about the limp of Jacob and the awe of Moses as a kind of an analogy for theology developing patience.
0: It seems like too, in the current moment that we're in that of uh, dispute and controversy and division in the culture, but we're talking particularly here in the church and the fruit of the spirit certainly would apply to all of that. But I think of the fruit of the spirit of kindness, which is how we treat other people, particularly where there is division and controversy. How does studying theology uh, develop that fruit of the Spirit, that of kindness, and, and, and addressing the subject of the divisions that are so prevalent?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Kindness is a really significant one. And in the chapter on kindness, I work through three different theological realities that might root kindness. Uh, I talk about theology as helping you understand the reality of yourself. And in some ways that can be scary. Theology actually teaches me what's true about myself. And sometimes when I learn what's true about myself, I learn I'm a little more wicked than I want to admit sometimes. So I learn the truth about myself. Theology will also teach me the truth about others that while they can be wicked as well they are also created in the image of god and one of the things theology shows me is even though others and myself can be quite wicked theology can bring into clarity just how much god has gone after us in his kindness and so if theology again is turning your mind's eye godward and you ought to look like him when you do that it helps you recognize the dignity of others how much the lord has gone through to be covenantly faithful to them. It helps you see the, the Imago day in your neighbor. And it helps you see exactly what you deserve versus what you have in Christ. And seeing that reality ought to just break our hearts. What we have, what we deserved versus what we have in Christ um, leads to what I think Russell Moore once called a convictional kindness, where we are convictional about our beliefs right? We, we don't want to say that Christian belief isn't important. We don't want to act like we don't have conviction. And at the same time, we want to have the kind of rooted conviction where it's not in jeopardy when people disagree with us. And so we can disagree and still be kind and respect the Imago Dei and our neighbors. It, it, I think you talked a little bit earlier,
0: uh, and you write about this uh, in your book, about the diagnostic question, w- what it is that we're thinking on, how we can know whether or not Our theology is taking us in this direction of the fruit of the Spirit or in the direction of the works of the flesh, which Mm -hmm. would lead to that
1: weaponizing theology. That's exactly right. One of the things, going back to that Galatians 5 passage that you're talking about with the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, Paul actually seems to give us a little bit of an answer to the question here because Paul says the works of the flesh lead to devouring your brother. Mm. And the fruit of the spirit lead to bearing your brother's burdens. And so I think that can actually be somewhat of a diagnostic question. Does your thought life typically lead you to look down on others, want to devour them, want to constantly be in fights with them? Or does your thought life lead to you wanting to bear their burdens, wanting to see their dignity in the image of God, wanting to love them and be with them and walk through Christian life towards the promised land with them? So I think that question provided by Paul in Galatians 4, 5, and 6 can be really, really good. Mm. Uh, You you point
0: out, and uh, perhaps this is in the book, it's certainly in the Christianity Today piece, but uh, you point out that sometimes theology can be seen in the minds of some people as a replacement for sanctification and wisdom. If I have knowledge, if I know or I think I know all the right doctrines, therefore I'm more Christ-like, therefore I have more wisdom, but you say, mm-hmm. not, not
1: quite. That's right, yeah, and I care about this, so I appreciate you bringing it out here. And I, I'm a theologian, this is what I do for a living. So of course, I, I love this stuff. I write theology, I think about theology, but one of the ways you can ruin this thing called theology is ask of it that which it's not prepared to give you. And theology cannot give you Christian maturity. It just cannot. There are other things you need. You need disciplines. You need a healthy emotional life. You need healthy relational life. You need a healthy church life. Theology is an amazing tool towards sanctification and one that I, I worry not enough people pick up as frequently as they should. Mm-hmm. But it is not an exclusive tool. So I think the way maybe we could say it is it's a necessary condition towards Christian sanctification, but not a sufficient one. Uh, there are other tools out there that we need as Christian, theo- as, as Christian uh, Christ followers. Uh, theology can be helpful, but it's not enough. It's not going to give you relational maturity or emotional maturity. And those things are very vital for a robust, holistic understanding of Christlikeness. And so
0: coming back just even to the definition of theology, it is... The
1: contemplation of God and all things in relation to God. And
0: that, through His Word... Then is should be by God's grace working in us and the Holy Spirit manifested in uh, a life of uh, good works.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I tell my students often that um, one of the things I dislike in some theological textbooks is that you might see people uh, talk about theoretical theology or practical theology. Mm-hmm. And I get what they're trying to do, but one of the things I would want to insist on is all theology is practical. In fact, if your theological thinking or your thought life in the intellectual life of the Christian is not changing you in some way, it's probably simply because you're not quite finished with the theological task. Theology is always practical. Even just beholding God, even that idea we see in 2 Corinthians leads to being conformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. And so, as you said, the thought life ought to lead to the spiritual
0: life. You cite early on in your book, uh, Dr. Kurtz, that you give credit to three influences, Christian thinkers from the past, and how they influenced you. Or There's actually four, I guess, if you throw in John Webster, who I can Yeah, pronounce. that's
1: right. Yep. Um, yeah, so I wrote this book. So I got the book contracted, and then this thing called COVID hit. <laughs> so – yeah. Uh, in a way, you know, COVID wasn't wasn't good in, in you know about a million ways, but it did kind of shut my world down and let me focus on reading and writing in a way that I would not have been able to otherwise. And so during that time, I was reading with Augustine. I was also reading Gregory of Nazianzus and um, Fyodor Dostoevsky, uh, and then the fourth would be John Webster. And I uh, I don't do this in all of my other of my other books or writing, but I was spending so much time with those authors during that summer writing fruitful theology that I, that I thanked them in the acknowledgements, even though none of them are living. Uh, and I said, you know, uh, Augustine reminded me that this task of theology is so weighty and yet so beautiful. And Gregory of Nazianzus reminded me that uh, theology is meant to produce holiness. And while it does produce joy and love, it also produces sanctification. And then Fyodor Dostoevsky, who's a fiction writer, a Christian fiction writer, who wrote The Brothers Karamazov and Crime and Punishment and really wonderful novels like that, uh, just kept in in front of my mind how important beauty is. And I wanted that to be a pretty strong element that uh, I think in our modern era, we have a really big hole in our heart for beauty. And a lot of us don't even know it. We really need beauty. And Dostoevsky as a novel writer helps me with that. And then finally, I am deeply influenced as a theologian by John Webster. And so I quote him throughout the book, and uh, his theology has had a huge impact on my life. So yeah, those are the four uh, deceased authors that I think in the acknowledgments.
0: Well, your book is Fruitful Theology, How the Life of the Mind Leads to the Life of the Soul. What is at stake? This is obviously something that you feel passionately about if we don't study theology, if we don't think about theology, contemplating God in His Word as uh, leading us to the life of the mind, leading us to the life of the soul? If we don't see it that way, if we don't see the connection to the fruit of the Spirit, uh, what, what what are we missing?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a young author, and often you see young authors have really big aspirations for their books, and that's great. I, I hope someday the Lord uses my writing and does really cool things with them. But I, I tried to have pretty tempered expectations with this book. The, the the heat on the theological dialogue in our world right now is just too hot. And uh, there are a lot of opinions and it feels like there's more heat than there is light. Uh, there's a lot of division, a lot of arrogance, a lot of self-platforming. And I knew this book was not gonna change the temperature per mm-hmm. se. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that's at stake, but what I really wanted to do with this book was if there was someone out there who said, you know what? I really enjoy thinking about God. And in fact, it kind of stirs my soul to think about him. And I love him more. I seem to love others more. And my my worry is there are people out there who feel that way, who look at others who quote unquote do theology, and they seem to always be angry. And I simply just wanted to say to the person who feels I love theology. I love God. I love my neighbors. I wanted them to feel like, hey, maybe you're not alone. And if my book doesn't change the temperature of the conversation, that's okay. But if it reminds those who do want to do theology in a way that leads to gentleness and love, that they're not alone, that's really what I wanted. That that seems achievable. And so, uh, yeah, maybe there are more of us out there who want to do theology in a way that doesn't lead to the devouring of their neighbor, but that leads to the good of their neighbor and wants to think hard and love well, and doesn't feel the need to pick one or the other. And so really the book was um, kind of a a siren song to those who don't, I don't want to feel alone.
0: And pointing us
1: to, uh, if you will, uh, an antidote to the division. Absolutely, I hope to show um, that theology can be a well of joy, not simply a weapon for war. And, how you treat theology and those two, and I don't want to dichotomize it too much, but thinking about theology as a well of joy can really change the way you go about it and invite others on the theological journey with you. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many
0: thanks to our guest, Dr. Ronnie Kurtz, author of Fruitful Theology. He teaches theology at Cedarville University in Ohio. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at the same time for another edition of His People.